from the 13th floor elevators. Bow of the Woods. From one mind to another, to you, the elevators say... I look out, the lever! Get away from that lever! You'll blow us all to atoms! Welcome, everyone. This is another episode of That Record Got Me. Hi, I'm your host, Rob Alba. You know what this is. This is a music podcast. We invite guests on, and they talk about an album that they love that got them high. And I'm really excited for my guests now. Uh, you know him from the band Super Drag. You know him, uh, you might know him from the Lees of Memory uh, and then from his uh, solo stuff, too. Let's welcome to the show John Davis. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. <laughs> And John, I just want to say, for those of you who don't know um, Super Drag, yeah, everyone knows John from Super Drag, but the Lease of Memory, I just downloaded your latest uh, Moonshot. Slow, steady, to the laundry. Every time I break it upon me, it don't ever change. It don't ever change. The Right I'm going to tell people, if you loved Super Drag, you will love this because it is it is great <laughs> and it is so oh, good. Thanks, man. And it's everything Thank you, you love about uh, about that and more. And it's really good. So uh, uh, that's awesome. And you have a, a release that you ju- that that's like really soon your solo thing. My hope is found in a God who can raise up the dead. Right. That's right. That's and that's right. that's awesome, too. That's cool. I was listening to that today and I was digging that today when I should have been doing homework. For this episode, I was listening to your other stuff. <laughs> oh, man, I appreciate that. You know, it's not its not much good if nobody hears it, you know? That's, so that's I always true. appreciate anybody listening. But uh, yeah, I'll talk at the end. I'll, I'll play some stuff, clips from that. And uh, the good thing is it's uh, Bandcamp. All this stuff's on Bandcamp. And I and I love Bandcamp because Bandcamp, people could actually get something at least. You, get, you know, if you get something from Bandcamp, you know the artist is actually going to see, see that money or a good amount of the... Uh, man it's just such a neat company like i i I guess i was kind of an early adopter of it i mean i i I made my little page in like 2014 oh wow uh, wow yeah you are an early adopter because i have tons and tons of recordings you know the whole excuse me the whole kind of theme of the page is you know the four track cassette world which is kind of where i live as a songwriter you know it's always been like my tool of choice uh yeah they you know we were talking earlier. People may not realize how much difficulty I had getting my Zoom to, to Zoom. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> the thing about Bandcamp, it's like the ease of the platform. Because I'm I do well enough, but it's like I'm not a I'm not a, a, a computer whiz. You know what I mean? If yes. I can if I can if I can add an album and get it out there for people where people can actually use it and listen to it, then anybody literally can do it. So Bandcamp is awesome and once a month you know they 
uh, waive their share of the of the money. So they they've kind of gone beyond above and beyond. I would say to to be, to be artist friendly and uh, yeah, Bandcamp Friday. More companies should follow suit, in my opinion. Oh so. yeah, they really should. They really should. All right, that's awesome. All right, but we're 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 not here to talk about any of that. I did actually. I mean, it's funny how I kind of got John on the show because uh, a couple of episodes ago. We had um, Marco uh, DeSantis on, and he did uh, Super Drag, your second album, Head Trip in Every Key. Head Trip in Every Key, which is great, which is something I had never, sadly, I'd never heard before, and we did it, and it was great, and I loved it. And uh, yeah, and, and 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 so we got to talking back and forth, and I, and I just said, John, like I always do, I'll say, hey, you want to pick a record? And all right, so what's the record? Because it's really interesting for me, the record you pick, and I want to hear why you picked this, but what's the record you want to talk about today? Well, I chose uh, Bull of the Woods by the 13th Floor Elevators, which was their uh, sort of swan song. It just happens to be my favorite of, of their albums, but the circumstances under which it was created are, are, were really strained and kind of strange. They had a they had a lot of legal problems, and they had people coming back and forth from San Francisco, kind of dipping in and out of the process of making this album. But they were under contract. And uh, the lead guitarist, Stacey Sutherland, who had written songs on the previous two albums, it was sort of left up to him to finish this album. Right. And if, I don't know if people, I don't know how much of the story people will know. I assume they, they know something about the elevators if they're going to tune into this pro- podcast. Um, right, right. But Stacey is really, a, number one, I think he was a musical genius, his playing, his, his use of the echoplex alone. I could do an entire podcast just on his, his guitar playing. Oh, that, right, right. Yeah, it's great. It's great. You know, he's really a tragic figure. He died super young. His wife shot and killed him in, a, in an argument. Yeah, in and, 1978. Uh, so, yeah. Well, there's a, there's an interview on YouTube. Anybody that's interested, and I, I wish I knew the, the subject line or whatever the title of it, but it's, it's from about a year prior to his death. And... Any fan of Elevators and anybody that's interested in Stacy should definitely take a listen to it. It's from 1977. I know that's mentioned somewhere in the title of it. Stacy Sutherland interview 1977. But he really breaks down his point of view on this whole scene that was going on. And unfortunately, one thing that he says about this album is that he wished it had, he just assumed it had never existed. Oh, really? Wow. Which to me, that was just a terrible blow to hear that. Because right. it's like I say, it's my by far my favorite album of theirs. And they, they don't have any bad albums. But yeah, it was sort of, it was sort of left up to him to, number one, like keep, keep the musicians together because they had... You know, they lost their bass player, Dan Galindo, after Easter Everywhere. He left the band. So, you know, the original guy, Ronnie Leatherman, came back. Or, I'm sorry, I think that's Benny Thurman was the original guy. But Ronnie Leatherman was a, you know, he's probably the longest running bass player. He comes back on some of these, you know, went through a couple of different working titles. Yeah, I saw A Beauty and the Beast at at one point, (laughs) right? Yeah, and there was actually a, there was actually a cover image designed for that, or at least a rough roughed in cover image that would have been great. Then they thought about calling it a love that sound, and like so when it got to that stage, I used to have an original copy of this. Sadly, I no longer have it. Charlie Records. I mean, it's the one probably the one people will find in the record shop. Right. But yeah, you know, a lot of the songs are pretty much formed in that on that in that early uh, edition. 
but then you know some some are interchanged with others and you know this is going on over a period of time and it's it's a weird band uh, off top because the leader is not the lead singer or not he's not he plays an instrument but it's not it's nothing anywhere near what a traditional like band leader oh you you're know, talking about uh, Tommy Hall you know, in rock and roll yeah I mean to me Tommy Hall is, is, is the leader of the right. elevators you know, which he just used their thing as kind of a vehicle for his ideas and his and his poetry of course there was the, the regimen of the LSD use for years I mean they you know okay so that was his it's, it's that was kind of like that. his uh, that was his idea that they should do uh, a lot of stuff and try doing it on the LSD and Right. Well, he, his his thinking was that they could play the acid. That was right. I, I, he's been quoted with that many times. I don't know if Tommy will hear this. I hope he would, man. I'm a big fan of his. <laughs> and he's kind of a controversial dude because he, you know, he's very opinionated. And, but I, I I think he's fascinating, and I think he's a great lyricist. And how they chose to run the band, I mean, that's <laughs> that's not really interesting. Us people to decide, you know, 40, 50 years later about that. But they, you know, they did what they did. And so as a result, they had a lot of legal troubles. And so Tommy and Rocky Erickson are only present on maybe four songs on this album. Right, right, right. But the, but, but the ones they do show up on are just astonishing, a, a lot of them. Like, uh, I don't know, to me, the song Never Another, that's like the best that's his best work on the jug. And I've never, yeah, yeah, right, right. And it's funny because he, um, like Tommy Hall's all over Easter everywhere. I'll just say, yeah, most people, I'm, I'm guessing like me, uh, a lot of people never even heard this record. And it's like, a lot, and, and I feel like most fans of the show know uh, them and know Easter everywhere and know Roki Erickson. Uh, your experience, I, I read. Actually, there's a lot of fans that eventually this became their uh, favorite uh, 13 Four Elevator album as well. Well, I mean, I think Stacy just appeals. His whole deal just kind of appeals to a certain type of listener. You know, he, he doesn't have. You know, Rocky's voice is more of a. It's just more of this kind of almost like a weapon. <laughs> he had, right. Well, he you has know? that edge. He, he has that edge that Stacy uh, doesn't have. Right. Like James Brown, you know, yeah, I mean, right. at, at times with the intensity, you know, but, yes. uh, but the great thing about this album, even though it was a totally jacked up situation, a lot of the times it just seems very unfussed over, but just really groovy. The, I mean, the, <laughs> right. The, you know, something like Barnyard Blues or like, what's the title? Down by the River, not to be confused with the Neil Young. Not the Neil Young, the which River. I thought, oh, God, uh, is there going to be a Neil Young cover? But no, it's not. <laughs> but it's just like, the, there's just like these simple, easy feeling songs, you know? And he's just, sometimes he gets real mystical with the words, but sometimes he's just talking about, you know, Kerrville, <laughs> you know, life in Kerrville. Right, right, right. Uh, all right, so here's here's my other question to you. How does a kid from uh, Tennessee get into this band from uh, Texas? Like, uh, were you into them, and then uh, did you discover Easter Everywhere first, and then discover this one, or how did you how did you get into the, these guys? Well, I first heard the uh, Elevators at Lost and Found Records, where I used to work before we did Super Drag 
this was like not from 93 to 95, I would say, uh, was when I worked there. And I mean, they're still the owners, Mike and Maria. I mean, they're, they're like my family, basically they're kind of like my aunt and uncle. You know? oh, nice, nice. It's the, way, it's the way I feel. And I, I'd say they probably feel something similar. You know, we, we, we're just tight. Anyway, Mike, uh, is a big, big psych fan in, in all, in all its, you know, varieties. And, uh, I don't remember the particular day, but I just know that we were in the shop, you know, stocking stuff or alphabetizing or something. He's like, man, you, you check out the 134 elevators. And it was the, there's the, it was the CD that had the purple and white stripes on it. And it had, um, I believe it was Charlie records that put it out. Actually, it was, uh, Easter everywhere and bowl of the woods, both oh, on one okay. CD. So that was my introduction to the elevators. Like I, I didn't hear the first album for a little bit, you know, right. I mean, I'm not going to say it was automatically my my favorite off the top, but um, yeah, it certainly has become my favorite. And you know, even though Stacy said he would just assume it never existed, I, I think that's terrible. I know that's, that's weird because it is. I mean, it's really good, and it is very what what I really appreciated once I kept listening to it and got into it. It's very sixty sounding in a way. It is psychedelic but it also sounds like like a uh, flower power 60s ish at times you know just really and it's almost like you're yeah. uh, you're in a, a time machine listening to it you know the way it's done and the way it's recorded and they even added like and sometimes i feel sometimes the horns work and sometimes they don't work as well but yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> i love the horns <laughs> even when they even when they, <laughs> even they, when they, 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 they don't quite sing. work <laughs> Some of the some of the, some of those details, like the, the you know the deal with the horn date and how that happened much later and this and that, in an attempt to appeal to some new audience, I'm not sure which. Uh, right. But there's a guy named Paul Drummond who wrote some really really good books about the elevators. To my knowledge, he's kind of the the authority on the 34 elevators. Okay. Well, people have people ever seen the uh, "You're Going to Miss Me" documentary about Rocky and his sort of road back to health and stuff? Right. At one point, it, this, this British guy drops by the the house there, and he's and he's got this draft, you know, of a book, and he's, you know, basically in so many words, you know, he's trying to hand it to Rocky, and then he's like, "Here, this is my book on the elevators. You know, do do you want to do you want to read it?" And, and Rocky's like, "No, I, I don't think I would, but ah. thank you." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So he's actually in the movie. But yeah, he's, he, there are two, I think the one's called I Mind, and that's just kind of a biography, you know, of the elevators. And then there's another one that's, it's, I mean, it's more like, it's like a big old Bible sized thing. I started reading and I literally could not put it down oh, wow. for days. Right. It was, it was a, they're just fascinating, man. I mean, there's really not a band that I love more than the Elevators. Yeah, well, you know what? It, uh, all right, here's one thing that I was thinking about. Because, yeah, they're, they're a band, I guess some people may not realize, they were like, after their first album, they were on the cusp of being like a really big band. I mean, they were getting yeah. on TV, right? And they were, but, oh, yeah. they, but they had so many, like, like you said, so many, they had legal issues and they had, you know, band issues and so many things. And all right, John, I'm going to say this, and I could just be totally talking out my ass here. But I feel like in a way you because I, I feel like a lot in your music and everything, you've always been 
interested in the in the separation of what happens to the music industry and the music in, and and bands and that as opposed to just making music it's like you'd love it to be pure where you're just making music and putting it out but all this other uh, bullshit comes into play and that's what i feel when we were talking about um head trip and every key to me that felt like an album like that's what you were addressing so i don't know do you think in a way maybe you're you're drawn to things like this just because it's just like this beautiful tragedy of a band well the more pure a form of music that you can deal with the better i I would say right less less interference from outside forces is always better you know these guys they didn't really have anybody interfering with them in the studio it was more just a lack of promotional juice you know, they just, they couldn't get records in the stores. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. It was hard, really, the, the, that's why the records are so valuable now, because they were just really hard to find. Oh, right. Um, okay. Yeah, well, they were on a label. That, you know. It was a weird uh, label that they were on. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, it's a, it's a, again, it's a tale as old as time, you know, a band's, you know, a, a label will, you know, be love a band and then turn on them or want them to be something else. And it's just, you're, it, it, it's sad that they're at the mercy of, you know, a lot of times, but, but also they were, a lot of times people are their own worst enemies too. I mean, you can't. <laughs> well, they, they did pull some, some shenanigans, like they did make a fake live album. I, that, I, that I read album. that, that that live album is just basically like demos and outtakes and they added crowd noises. Yes, yes which is genius. I love it. The intro is amazing. I love it. Uh, I mean, I, I listen to that one too. I don't care. man was Leland Rogers, who was Kenny Rogers' brother. Really? Leland Rogers, Kenny Rogers' brother. An odd bit of trivia. Right. But so they they had a Nashville connection. And there's a really sought-after acetate. It's a mono cut of Easter Everywhere, which is like recognized to be probably the best sounding mono edition there is of Easter Everywhere. Okay. And it was cut by Nashville Record Productions. And they're still doing it. And those are the same guys that cut lacquers for the Lees of Memory. <laughs> oh, nice. And the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know. That's great. I don't know. It's, it's not really six degrees. It's probably more like 600 degrees of the separation. circle, hey, that's the rock and roll circle of life, I say, though. You know, it's, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, let's start listening to this record. Like I said, I, I was blown away right from the start. I'm like, oh, shit, how did I? And I bet a lot of people are going to be uh, like this. Like, how do I not know about this, you know? But it's, uh, yeah, Stacey Sutherland uh, front and center. But, uh, yeah, this, so the first track, uh, Stacey Sutherland, Tommy All track, Living On. It's wrong, so I'm just living on. I hear guitar. 
talking You only pop in spirits Automatic walking You snap a kiss All right, so great. So they did have uh, Rocky singing on the opening track, but he only he only sings on like uh, what is it like uh, three or four yeah like four tracks on the album. But uh, it it's good. I think it was smart of them opening it up, having it with him, you know, because uh, maybe people expect it. But just uh, a really great groove and the uh, guitar sounds on this record are just like sick. Oh yeah, well there's the echoplex right off top. I mean, it gets more extreme in other places, and then. They- I'm sure they use it on the jug, and I'm sure they use it on a, as any, any, basically anything that they could run across that echoplex. I'm sure they tried right, to right. do. <laughs> but man, I, I, like I was saying a second ago, the drummer Danny Thomas. This is a perfect example of he had a really unique style of playing. He was from North Carolina, and a lot of his musical training was backing up soul and R&B groups. Oh, okay. That just use use you know pick up bands or like regional bands, right? Yeah, he just, um, I guess he moved to uh, Austin uh, for school or something and uh, somehow ended up in, in the same circle with these dudes. And yeah, I mean, he, he was a perfect fit for them. And that's this track, that first track is a really great example of, I don't know, to me, he brings he brings that, that R&B element uh, and it, it just suits their music perfectly. He does. And I guess he was involved a lot with this because I, I guess they'd recorded stuff in... 68 and a lot of it they didn't use but then in 69 and i guess he was involved with like the horns and a lot of the arrangements and he's just musical you could hear he's a very musical drummer just in how he plays and that's great and yeah you're right that is that soul uh influence that's awesome there's a great interview with him uh on youtube from the same channel that that had that other one with stacy and he he talks a lot about easter everywhere and the how he joined the group and the way they worked up, up all the, the music and stuff and, you know, out in, out in the, this cabin <laughs> or something. I mean, it was, I'm sure it was a scene, you know? Right. You know oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it was a scene. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we got a barnyard blues is next pretty standard blues song, but like you said, this is where you get the, the fantastic guitar sounds and playing from Sutherland. It's just like off the charts and pretty out there lyrics too on this one, for sure. Let's, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's listen to a little bit of Barnyard Blues. <laughs> I, I love this one. Oh, my God. 
Mysterious lyrics, which is something I, I've always appreciated about the 13th floor elevator. There's always been this little, little dark edge to them, you know, where you don't even, even if the lyrics, they are kind of innocent sounding on the surface, you sort of feel there's something, you know, else going, or maybe something else going on underneath, or maybe it's just the way they're uh, presenting it. Well, yeah. And I think that, you know, the stuff that Tommy Hall writes is always, uh, he always seems to be reaching out with some kind of a message. You know, like he's trying to he's trying to get across a lot of ideas packed into a, a you know a four minute song. Right. Uh, whereas I don't know with Stacy Sutherland. I mean, even his writing on the earlier albums, it's always it always just seems a little bit more personal, less oh, right, maybe right. less let a little bit less cosmic and a little bit more like personal. Right. You know. Okay. Yeah. This uh, like because this next one until then maybe has more of the cosmic uh, stuff in there. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, all right. We'll talk about it. Let's listen to a little bit of till then. love this though right how could you not love it i'm uh, yeah this is literally when i started listening this week it was literally the first time i heard this and it's like oh my god this is this is gr- unbelievable yeah just uh the the lines there heals sadness broken hearts and the madness soon departs we knew we found a way as to what it takes to say when each man lends his voice and reads only choice someday my love someday those are really great lyrics man i hear you know on this album and, and on, on their others, um, I hear these guys inventing a lot of what happened in the 90s, oh. in, in the late 60s. Oh, right, for sure. Yeah, because yeah, because you have to remember that this is like the late, still the 60s. I mean, like that song in particular is a great example. I mean, I could, off the top of my head, I could think of 10, 10 indie bands from the 90s that sound just like that. <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. I was blind.
Because it's a vibe. I mean, of course. I mean, like I was saying before, there's really not a band that I love more than the Elevators. And in a way, they're kind of like a third coast analog to the Velvet Underground. Oh, oh you yeah. Uh, I, I for sure. They, for sure. I would say they were as good as the Velvet Underground. Yeah. Uh, and they were kind of doing their thing at the same time, just in completely, you know, far-fetched locations. Yeah, yeah. But one could say they were equally influential. Right, um, and, and instead of a, a Biola, uh, there was a, a Jug. There was a Hall's Jug. Instead. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. And Well, that's that, that's well-timed, too, because the next song is like, like I said earlier, I think his best work on the Jug. Yeah, yeah. well, his Jug is definitely like, because it's Easter Everywhere, it's all over. I think it's on every track, and it is. You have to l- listen for it more. But yeah, this one, Never Another, classic Rocky in a way, because uh, in, intense, like he said, he's got this intense delivery, and it's lyrically dense. But uh, yeah, it's a great song that I had never heard before. Let's listen to a little bit of Never Another. ask you i'm imagining you've turned a lot of people onto this album because i i could picture you seeing someone you know that loves easter everywhere and you're going well okay but have you heard have you heard bull of the woods i mean i've definitely posted some rants about it more than once oh okay <laughs> yeah just about how great it is right right because you said when you said you, you didn't hesitate when i said oh would you want to come on and do a record you threw this one right away and you said stacy sutherland man and uh it's like i'm like okay <laughs> i did not know he, uh, he deserves he deserves more praise for sure right 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 all right so this is uh another one of his songs rose and thorn uh really mysterious like i said that mysterious like sort of dark sounding tune with some really interesting now this is something i i imagine that draws you to this too because there's some really cool chord changes going on you know and there's uh just the structure and the arrangements in this and i could tell just knowing your songs and your songwriting that's something that you're going to be drawn to right oh i love this one yeah, yeah this, is, I this is one of my favorites it's great all right let's listen to rose and the thorn
brand new smile and brand new angel face It won't change It won't change You're here to stay till your last living breath is complete It won't change It won't change Those chord changes there, you know? We used to call them cowboy chords. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so Down by the River, like we said, not not a cover of the Neil Young song, but another Stacey Sutherland song. Very uh, psychedelic, bluesy uh, again, right? I mean, that's that's kind of his uh, wheelhouse in a lot of this stuff. Yeah, just real loose. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I played with another band called The Rectangle Shades. We have a couple of LPs. Uh, I guess that goes back to like 2018. Was the first one came out. Nobody hates it worse than me. Overindulgent fantasy to be free. But if you like. We played last year on Record Store Day, and we actually did a cover of uh, Down by the River. So we want to do something by the elevators and that. They left it up to me to, to pick which one. So yeah, they they let me pick when we did that one. That's great. You know, that's funny because I was going to ask you at some point if you've ever covered anything from this album. But there you go. You've answered uh, you've answered my question. And, uh, some, and, and, sure uh, enough. All right, that's great. Let's listen to Down by the River. That's really cool. And, you know, he isn't credited, but I feel like they're both singing there. You said you could you could definitely hear they're both playing there, but I think they're both singing there too, right? Doesn't it, seem, doesn't it oh, sound yeah, like that? for sure. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, that's definitely a rocky singing at high point. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, that was a nightmare. I'm sure the whole putting together this was probably a nightmare. <laughs> and it's a shame because they, they did it and it didn't really, you know, at the time it didn't do anything. But like I said, I, in reading about it now, there's, there's tons of fans that this became their favorite album. But of course, like 20, 30 years later. Man, yeah, it's, I, I really hate that. Uh, I hate that Stacy wasn't around to see the number of people that were just amazed by the elevators. You know, they just didn't have a chance to hear them then or, you know, weren't, weren't born yet or whatever. I mean, he had no idea. 
when he's sitting there in 1977 saying, I, I just assumed this album didn't exist. You oh, have no right, idea right. that, yeah. you know, we'd be sitting here almost 50 years later still talking about it. Right. Talking about it and especially about his contribution to it and everything because Rocky was such a, you know, such a larger than life figure and a lot of people focused on him. But yeah, yeah like, like you said, man, <laughs> this album is all about Stacy. You kind of highlighted something that's probably important to mention about bands is that a lot of times, you know, Rocky's voice and just his delivery and stuff just sort of demanded attention. Right. And he was was the focus for a lot of people. Rightfully so, right. It was Rocky and the 13th Floor Elevators, you know, to a lot of people. Right. But all those dudes, uh, John Ike Walton, Stacy, uh, Benny Thurman, they, they all had like very unique ways of playing their instruments and very distinct uh, sounds. And they... You know, a band is not just one the one dude and then some random people behind him. Exactly. It's uh, it's got to be a, a synthesis of four or however many different people's uh, their whole approach to their thing, and they bring it all together. That's what makes a band great. It's not you know one guy. And I mean, I say that you know, I guess for my own benefit as well. I want people to know, you know, with Super Drag, it's certainly you know, it's a, it's four four people like you know, forming like Voltron, you know, like, right. But everyone's going to focus. Yeah. A lot of people are going to focus on you because you were, the, yeah, but, but yeah, you're right. That's the magic. That's the true magic of really good bands because it's not, you know, even though, you know, someone's going to stand out more and everything, but that's the true, the true magic. Cause you can get the four wrong people together and then it's just not going to work. <laughs> well, and, and, and I'm not saying it's not necessarily a bad thing to have, you know, one writer. I mean, that's, no, no, right, yeah. right. But you There's still got to have the, the right people playing with them and, and being able to bring it all, yeah, bring it all together. For sure, yeah, right. Did we, we were getting ready to listen. To, basically, we're flipping over to side two now. Right? Oh, we're about okay. to listen to Scarlet and Gold is side two. Scarlet and Gold. And uh, really great song, really evocative uh, lyrics. And, and I get, you know, in, I'm thinking, I'm reading the lyrics and I'm thinking, I wonder, and then I realized this was written like during the Vietnam, like at the height of the Vietnam War. So I, I got to feel that that's in here. Man, this might actually be my favorite song on this whole album. He's a king, he's a poor boy. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, John, you had mentioned the uh, Velvet Underground before, and I could hear, like, in the, in the beginning, especially when it starts, you could almost picture Lou Reed, if Lou Reed was singing it instead of that. It, there's definitely that that uh, vibe there still. Uh, it's really cool. It's just like coming from uh, a different part of the country. Yeah, I mean, tap, you know, tapping into some of the same energy or you know, just kind of genuine weirdos. Yes, genuine weirdos. <laughs> you know, That's it, exactly. <laughs> Doing the way they thought best, you know. I mean, that's yeah. It's like the weird, the artistic weirdos, but that still loved rock and roll. Still, you know, that still loved rock and roll and appreciated it. But they were artistic weirdos too, so they sort of melded it all together. Well, but there's just a purity to both. You know, the, the, neither one of these are products of the music industry. Yes, <laughs> you know Lou, Lou Reed. I mean, he he was a songwriter by trade. You know, before the Velvet Underground, which to me is really interesting. Uh, oh yeah, that he wrote but, for uh, Pickwick. Yeah. yeah, he wrote like these. Uh, yeah, like uh, singles, uh, throwaway. You know, novelty singles. The ostrich. Yep. <laughs> but there are a lot of ideas on that that end up in the Velvet Underground. Oh, yeah. I mean, you oh, know, yeah. the, like the, his guitar is basically t- tuned in unison. Yep. I've tried that, man. It's for, I actually wrote a song like that. It's a really neat way to, to write. It's really challenging to, to make something cool happen, but there are places where you can do it. You know? I really like the lyrics in this song. Yeah, it's I probably, do too. Like and, I say, it might be my favorite one. And and I, yeah, I really, like I said, I do feel like it's a Vietnam, something to do with Vietnam, like a soldier, maybe a, a disillusioned, you know, a soldier um, sort of, you know, his way was lost, his spirit was the cause. So it, it's like, you know, maybe uh, how many soldiers sort of lost, you know, lost it, lost it all. And uh, it, uh, yeah, I feel like Scarlet and Gold, that's what he's, uh, you know, maybe that's what he's alluding to. I feel like with Stacey, I mean, he, he makes a lot of allusions to religious imagery, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he was, he was definitely a religious individual, you know, in his, on his own terms, I'm sure. But he, you know... I think as a younger dude, you know, he definitely was into studying the Bible and knew the Bible. And uh, oh, okay, I, didn't I feel like I feel like a lot of that, you know, he seemed to be convinced, according to some people that were around him a lot. You know, he, he seemed convinced that de- you know demons were after him. Oh, okay, for whatever okay. reason. <laughs> right. you know. Well, maybe I'm sure all that. Um, I'm sure the LSD uh, didn't help him. <laughs> Well, I mean, when you talk, when you start talking about the frequency and the quantity of what they were using, it's it's the, crazy. The fact that they were able to be a functioning band and produce the records that they did, and I mean, it's 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 pretty mind-boggling, really. Because, it is, uh, it is. But you know, when we were doing when we did Easter Everywhere with Paul Mayhern he made an interesting point because he said a lot of times he'll listen to this type of music, he'll listen to it and not so much to think, Oh, you got to listen to it beyond drugs or anything, but it's like the music should, will should make you feel like be instead of it. Like you don't have to do the drugs because you're listening to the music and that's going to make you feel that way. And that's going to bring out, you know, your consciousness and everything. And that's, yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. Well, yeah. I mean, a great, a great band can do that. You know, they can, they can get you right on their level with what they're doing with sounds. Right, right. With the sounds and that, yeah, and you don't have to be on anything, yeah. I don't personally subscribe to the view that drugs, I don't think drugs contribute one ounce to anybody's creativity. I mean, you're, you're either creative or you're not. Uh, right. I, I mean. I think the same thing. If, I agree. If anything, 
you know, if, if anything, maybe they would affect your worldview or something or point you in a direction of other of certain sounds or different things that you might not hear otherwise or whatever. But, you know, some of the most some of the most bizarre psychedelic stuff that I've ever recorded myself personally, there was zero drugs involved. Right, right, right. So, right. I, you know, I don't. <laughs> yep. What's in what's in there? What's in your heart and soul? I mean, it, it's supposed to come out in your music. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it uh, isn't because of the drugs. Yeah, I mean, the drugs, obviously, it, it comes into play with a lot of musicians, no. but that's not the, that's not what makes the music great no, ultimately or makes it yeah special. It's the musician themselves. Uh, usually they're med- medicating for other reasons, self-medicating for other reasons. It doesn't have anything to do, to do with the music. I think they were very sincere in their desire to use that uh, regimen of, of LSD taking, you know, to to form new ideas. I mean, that's something Tommy Hall is always... Right. Tommy Hall was the one, was the big uh, proponent of that, yeah. In any interview with Tommy Hall, he's always going to stress that it was... the. Uh, they were interested in ideas. It was always a, it was always a source of ideas. It was never just a, a recreation. Right, them. right, 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 right. It was to bring you to a, a different plane or a different sense of consciousness. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. Moving right. up, moving up the pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. So yeah, we're down to street songs. Street that's song. a good one. Yeah, which is a rocking, pretty rocking, just like a lost love song. Like you said, uh, Sutherland could write just like a, you know, it's almost like I said, just like a pretty simple lost love song. But also, I'm going to play a little bit of the song, but then later I'm going to play underneath. It's got this really cool instrumental bridge in the middle of it that takes it in like in a completely different uh, direction as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it goes like Bolero or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, which is awesome. I'm going to play both, but let's listen to the beginning for a street song. playing going on in that right i mean uh it's just wild when you think about it it's like 1968 you know 1969 it's like that's there's some wild stuff going on yeah yeah just uh feeling it yeah just uh, yeah there's a 
there's a looseness to this album and just a freedom to it that I think draws me to it as much as anything. Just, right, right, right. Just seems like they're kind of just seems like they're having fun, man. You know, I mean, hopefully, I hope they did have fun. I, yeah, I, I don't know if they totally had fun, but uh, <laughs> you're right. It does sound like. <laughs> I guess it depends on what day it was. Well. <laughs> This this next song I love so much because I'm I'm a Marvel head and like a Jack Kirby fanatic. Oh, you know? okay. So for there to be a song called Doctor Doom, I think is amazing. Yeah. But what's really funny about it, you probably know this already, but like, it's basically Tommy Hall talking to Bob Dylan because Tommy Hall believed that Bob Dylan was sending them messages on his records. Really? If I remember correctly, there was something like John. I think it was the John Wesley Harding album. He felt like was directed to them. Oh no! And, uh, I didn't realize so, that. I didn't read that. I didn't know that. That's wow. Because it's cre- It's creepy. It's like a, the lyrics are to me are very creepy. Southern Hall, and they had Rocky sing on it, which was really smart for this one because it works so great. And also the horns, I think, work great yeah. on this one too. This, this one, they just did a really good job. Oh, yeah. Wow, I did not know that Dylan connection. That is awesome. Uh, let's listen to a little <laughs> bit. It is though. weird though. <laughs> Dr. Doom. Dear Dr. Doom, I read your recent letter. You've left soon. I hope you're feeling better. That is one cool but strange song, man. <laughs> swinging, you know. I mean, really swinging. Like yeah. a lot of '60s bands couldn't swing. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. David Crosby, rest in peace, man. He used to he used to be on Twitter all the time, shitting on the Doors and their inability to swing. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Yeah, I could see that. No, yeah, I totally see that. <laughs> That's great. All right, so we get Ronnie Leatherman gets a song on the on the on the record with you, uh, and and it's cool. But uh, so Ronnie Leatherman yeah. came in. He he kind of came in after uh, the other bass player, right? And was he not with them that long? Man, if I remember correctly, I don't want to speak out of turn. I think he had to go to Vietnam. Oh, I believe okay. Ronnie Leatherman got drafted. Oh shit! Yeah, I don't want to speak. That would happen that time. I'm pretty sure uh, 
so at that point in time, they had Dan Galindo for like the Easter Everywhere uh, period. Right. And then Ronnie Leatherman, I guess, came back from Vietnam, thankfully, and uh, resurfaced, you know, popped up playing with these guys again. Oh, uh, okay, okay. And if, I, and if, I, if I've got my facts wrong, I apologize. No, it's I'm all right. Sure yeah. that's we wrong. get facts wrong on this podcast all the time, Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, let's listen to uh, with you. Dreams are told by people around you. If you should watch them, they soon will astound you. I know a guy who said he'd be a friend. Said he dreamed nice things when he was around. Dreams, dreams can help you believe in. Dreams, dreams can see something bleeding. I So yeah, the the guitars are great, but that's some bass playing. That's some Paul McCartney great bass playing going on there. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they always had cool bass on the records, man. No matter who was there playing, they, they always and it was always a big bass sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big and and yeah, busy getting around, uh, getting around, but mm-hmm. uh, but interesting. And uh, yeah, like I said, I was just blown away so blown away listen to this it's very uh rich album there's a lot going on you know that uh that rewards you on repeated listening yeah, for sure and now we get what they chose the final track which i think it, it's rocky's other songwriting contribution and of course you know it's weird it, it's weirdly psychedelic and it's kind of like a barely there wisp of a song but it definitely i think it's a really cool yeah. album closer because it definitely has a mood to it and it definitely brings you somewhere right <laughs> well yeah i mean according to the book uh you know it was just kind of it was just kind of a jam right i'm sure i'm sure it was going on before and after what we hear on the record and they oh, just right, kind of took right, a pass right. at it on the tape and i think it was one of it was just a night that rocky happened to stop by kind of thing right right because he had been bouncing back and forth from san francisco to austin and well, I think this stuff was actually recorded in Houston, if I remember correctly. It, it and it kind of it's weird, man. It kind of trails off, and it's it's kind of like the whole elevators thing just kind of trails off. At the yeah, end yeah, of the right. <laughs> exactly. But like I said, I think it's a really cool way to end uh, end the album. Uh, let's listen to "May yeah. the Circle Remain Unbroken." <laughs> Fantastic. 
Oh, I know. It's very cinematic, you know? And it's very ahead of its time, I feel like. Sounds like a funeral parlor organ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's creepy for sure. All right, so you were, uh, this was in the 90s when you discovered this, so you were, but this was before, like you said, uh, like you said, you discovered this before Super Dragon and everything, but this, so, I mean, you don't overtly maybe hear mm-hmm. the influence in this in your music, but obviously, I guess it's just something that you just uh, love, right? That, that you fell in love with and you came, like you were telling me, you listened to this album like hundreds of times, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, what happens is if I now that now that I've spent these last couple of days listening to it, I'll probably listen to it for the next two weeks. Oh, okay. It's just okay. very difficult for me to stop. Right, 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 right. But uh, I don't know. I I think uh, people may pick up more of an elevator's influence with Elisa Memory. Yeah. Possibly. I oh, mean, okay. I could see that. People expect certain things from Super Drag, and they expect Super Drag not to do certain other things like. I tried to write a country song once. People hated it. <laughs> I mean, they, they expect certain things from Super Drag. Right, right. They're like these parameters, you know. Yeah, the, yeah. Fleas of Memory is just kind of our... We can, we're, we can do anything we want at any time on any Fleas of Memory record, and it's just what, what we do. Right. You know? So I feel like maybe uh, if I was going to look at any of the records, I mean, that our, set, our, uh, our third album, which is a double album, uh, The Blinding White of Nothing at All, I'm not going to say any of it is like the elevators because there's really nothing like the elevators. Right, right, right. But I definitely feel something like Scarlet and Gold with that rolling bass. It's You know, the influence is picked up in ways like that, you know? Right, right, right. John, this was really great. It, it was so, like I said, I'm, I'm really, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. And, and I can't stress enough people, if you, if, if you like Super Dragon, if you like some of John's music, check out the Lisa Memory because I'm telling you, you will love it. You will. It, it's great stuff, and it's and it's all on Bandcamp, and it's good. I was hopping around, and I liked everything I heard, John. I'm not even. I'm, I'm not just blowing smoke up your oh, ass. Cool, it was man. just really good. That's fantastic. I loved. I love to hear that. A lot of it just sounds very joyful, and and uh, that's what I love now. I love listening to people that you could tell they they just want to make music. And there's a, there's a joy to it that I hear, and, and uh, it, it's great. I probably do a poor job of paraphrasing this, but I've, it's a quote from Ian Mackay, where he basically said, you know, musicians make music. <laughs> like, they're for, for it's a for life thing, you know, and it really is a lifetime of joy. You know, there are other people whose art is making money, yeah. and that's their art, <laughs> you know, and they, and, they, and, they, and they practice it, and they do it well, you know. Oh, God. But but Ian Mackay's point is that, like, you know, musicians make music. You know, I'm always chasing that next idea that's going to come rolling down the the pike. You know, he's in charge. That's how we end up with with, uh, such a mixed bag of records, you know, and different different atmospheres and vibes and stuff. Because we really the ideas show up and they're in charge. And I just try to follow through and get it down so we don't forget. You know, I'm sitting here in my little studio spot right now with a full yeah, track here. Yeah, I see that stuff. nice Vox amp behind you. You know, then Brandon. I'm, you know, the other neat thing about the Lee's memory is that it's a, there's a lot of co-writing. You know, with Brandon. I mean, it was his it was his idea. To, to, I mean, the band name was his idea. He wrote the first song. You oh, know, okay. It's okay. very much like. I mean, he was kind of uh, he kind of set off the whole thing. And uh, my favorite moments are the ones where we get to write together. And I feel like uh, the next thing we do will probably be all co-written or else, you know, he can write all of it if he wants. I would oh, okay, gladly nice. 
play on nothing but an, an album of Brandon's jams because I'm just those are always my favorite ones. Oh wow! <laughs> well, that's great. Look at you. Yeah. <laughs> giving up some uh, creative control that's that's always good that's a good thing when you find people good people that you're in uh, that you're in sync with them, right I think Miles Davis is sort of credited with that approach of not he would get he would just get the right people in the room he didn't do a lot of talking and a lot of pre-production you right know, he right. just knew like I know if I see Brandon walking in the room with a guitar in his hand I know that he's gonna do something that adds to the song and makes it better He's been thinking about it already for two weeks. And awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean the guy's yeah. very methodical about his approach. And I just I have confidence that, you know, it's always going to make the song better, and it always does. That's great. That's the one good thing about getting older with, as far as making music. Ego kind of goes gets gets less and less. The ego goes out the door, and you just, like, it, it's, it's all about the music. That's, that, the, the one good thing about getting older. <laughs> There's a lot of bad things, but that's the good thing. Well, I mean, the best idea wins. Yep. A lot of times he'll send me something with, uh, the, you know, he'll send me a, he'll send me something that I can drop into one track of the four track, and it'll be like a guitar and a vocal and a click or something, so I can overdub. And he'll just leave like an eight bar hole in there somewhere where there's just nothing. Oh right. <laughs> and so it's my job to fill it up, you oh, know. Nice. Or one time uh, there's a song just for a moment. I think he forgot and only left me seven bars. But it's kind of a hook, you know? Oh, nice. <laughs> that, that missing bar is kind of a hook. Yeah, man, I hope that uh, as far as the future of Belize, I mean, we, we're making a Super Drag album right now. We're about halfway done with that. Oh, really? But there's there's definitely, more is definitely coming from Belize memory, too. Okay, for sure. nice. Well, that's great. And uh, more is coming from us, too. Don't forget, every week we have a new show. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook, at that record got me high. Also, that Facebook group got me eye on Twitter. It's at TRGMH Podcast. You can email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. Let me know everything that we got, me and John got wrong, and correct me as, as you all love to do. That's fine. I can take it. I got big shoulders. Uh, don't forget, if you want to become a patron of the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. I would appreciate it. John, this was really great having you on. I really appreciate it. Once we figured out how to get the Zoom working, it was great. It was great. Thank you. Glad to do it, man. Anytime, and good luck with the future episodes. All right. Thanks so much, man. We'll see you. All right. Bye-bye. We'll see you all next week.